Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. Uh, my name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you, Scott? I'm really great today. How are you? I'm great. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Uh, both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we are glad as ever to have their support with this show. Today's topic is uh, labeled Heroes in Training and is meant to get us uh, waxing poetic or not on the subject of what it means when you are a senior in a team and you are leading or otherwise coaching lower levels or juniors on your team. Um, so maybe we dive right in with the first topic of, of experience in this matter. Um, Scott, how how many times have you been in a situation where you had a lot of uh, people that are relatively new to uh, the coding world on your team? Honestly, I think that since I started at NetCentric, uh, so the current position, and before that, I've always had somebody who's uh, working junior to myself, apart from my very first job when I was the junior. So I've always had experience um, of of kind of coaching people and trying to raise their level, trying to get them to um, to understand the processes of the the companies that we're working in, um, and I have grown to enjoy it. And actually, um, at first, I think my first experiences with it were, man, this is hard. This is like I obviously when you're first making your way in the industry, you're kind of you have a little bit of imposter syndrome and you almost feel like who am I to actually be coaching somebody else? Um, I've kind of lost that and really like, tried to uh, hone the skills to actually help develop the people. Um, or at least I think I helped develop them. We'd, we'd have to ask yeah. them really. <laughs> what about <laughs> you? Uh, yeah. Well, from, from my side, it's maybe the opposite. Um, I have since uh, joining our company, been in that position quite uh quite frequently but before that i was freelance and so um it you know working for yourself you encounter two things you there's a great deal of imposter syndrome at times because you kind of have to do everything and it never seems like you're good enough at anything um but then you you also don't really uh encounter a lot of discussions unless you're active on forums or something where you're saying oh yeah i know this thing let me help you with that but what struck me as you were talking is that it was a very similar experience when I would try and phrase what I was doing in terms of the clients I had. So they didn't understand the technical things that I was talking about, which made me, if I needed to get something across, I had to speak about it in very, uh, as helpful and non-specific terms as possible. So I couldn't talk about functions. I just had to talk about the way that something ran on the, the computer or the browser. Um, and, it's funny, you'd think with having that, when I got into the position where I was having juniors on my team and others, um, that that would have maybe been difficult, but I did not find it so. I found it rewarding seeing people when they have that spark and their the desire to get things uh, working, um, being able to be there and, and point out, not mistakes necessarily, but like, oh, you you won't have encountered this yet. Let me show you how that works. Or this is not according to our standards. That's not a big deal for now. Um, but let's go over why it's one of our standards. That's that's a quite pleasant experience when you're doing that one-on-one -on -one with your team. I agree. I think that um, one of the great things about having juniors on your team is actually the fact that it enforces, um, it kind of enforces the best practices because say you get a code review from a junior and you actually take a look at it and you think, mm, okay, so this is this needs refactor um, and this is why it needs refactor. But it almost makes you take a look at your own code and say, well, would I have written something like this? Would this of like non-standard thing have crept into my code? And it kind of makes you like, you can't, Obviously, everybody is fallible, but to, to a certain extent in that situation, you don't want to be fallible. You want to be able to say, no, this is how this is how you should do it. And this is the reason why you would do it. And I would always do it this way because it's the correct way and because um, like it's going to meet some standards. It's almost takes it almost gives you 
um, a little kick to say, are you doing it? You're telling somebody else that you're going to have to do it right. So are you actually doing it right yourself? Like it's a, it's kind of a health check. And I think that that's a, a pretty nice thing from a, from a lead perspective. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's another reason that, that this kind of model uh, works in, in this is you have to enforce it yourself. And the same thing goes when you are teaching anything, when you're giving a talk, right? You have the knowledge yourself, but a lot of it is subconscious. You, you, you know it and you can feel your way through it, but you might not know like how it is practically. But when you have to say it out loud to someone, when you have to explain it in maybe one or two or three different ways, it solidifies your own expertise of it as well. It, it gives you a way to shape what, um, your understanding of it is at the same time as you're imparting it to someone else. Totally. I think that the, I think one of the best things to help you understand how something actually works is to teach somebody else how it works, like get a grasp of, get a grip of it yourself. But then if you actually take it further um, and say, right, I'm going to show somebody else how this works, then it really helps to reinforce it in your own mind. So I think that that's another, another good benefit, especially when you're learning something um, like, you don't instantly know everything, like, but it's actually helped to, to reinforce your own knowledge. Um, maybe we get a little more specific to, to front-end development. What are some of the things that maybe you found that time and again, people that are new to um, coding or new to front-end um, kind of run up against and have a, a tough time with? For me, I think that the we i always push um for things to to make the code as simple as possible to make it as readable as possible and so for that end like really reinforce that a function should only do one thing um i still remember when i started writing javascript i would write functions that did about 20 things um and it just the the potential for breaking was just horrific and i shudder at that now um, and that is one of the first things that I see from a junior is that their functions that they're writing, even though they think that they're doing it so that it only, so a function only does one thing, it doesn't, it does way too many things and actually getting that across to them and, um, and showing them the benefits of that, because in a pull request for sure, it could seem like, oh, well, why would I do it this way? It's, this is only checking like one parameter. They don't see there's potential for this thing to grow with a change request from a client or, you know, the future developments and it's better to do it right now. Um, and I think that that is something that I really see with, um, with a junior developer that they, that they don't quite understand the benefits of breaking things down into the smallest possible chunks, um, and, or see yeah. the potential dangers later down the line. Yeah, uh, I've encountered the same thing as well. And it even applies to CSS and, and your template structures. Um, and really, I, I think what it comes down to is they often haven't had the experience yet of having to refactor something that has gotten too out of control. Um, when you've done that a number of times, you start to notice what it takes to actually fix that to go from some large immutable method that modifies things outside of its own scope and then you have to find out where those are and sometimes heaven forbid they're in other files or, or other components and you're just like what is happening here um it's you need to have that experience and that's kind of what i see like the the leads on the team are there for is to just keep an eye out for those types of patterns that can lead to really tough refactorings down the line when there it ends up being time for that yeah, really. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, there's, I think you, it, you are passing on knowledge, but you, but for sure you're passing on experience as well. Like you've, um, you've already been bitten, um, and there's no need for the other people to, there's no need for a junior or, um, anybody else coming onto your team to be bitten by the same thing. You should, that's definitely something that you should pass on. Um, and they're really going to benefit for that in the, in the future. Um, it's, it's quite nice actually when you, when you actually tell somebody, oh, maybe you should do it this way. Um, and these are the reasons. Uh, and then six months down the line, that person's still on your team. And the exact reason that you'd explained occurs. And suddenly, suddenly where they, they may have thought you were being super petty, um, yeah. seems like, oh, wow. Like 
actually, respect, you You did actually know what you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've encountered um, a situation like this when it came to CSS and trying to get the team members to understand uh, how to make the cascade work for you and um, where it can sometimes really fall apart. And it wasn't until we had a feature where we had to bring in like an entire other code base into our own. And we started seeing all of these places where that code base was bleeding into our own because they hadn't thought that way, that we were like, oh, okay, we are doing it the right way. Um, and what I mean by right way is, is, you know, you, you make sure as much as possible, you're keeping your selectors low and your class names specific. So you keep specificity low uh, to allow for overriding, but you try never to do the overriding. <laughs> um, and that's that's a hard practice to get into. Tools like SAS help with that, but it's also just a hard mindset because you want to be like, well, the only time I'm going to use this thing is when it's inside this thing, so why don't I just be specific? And you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen and what clashes are going to arise. And that, that's You only get that through experience. You only understand that through experience, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let me ask you, like you started as a freelance. Um, do you ever feel that you kind of missed out on the process of being the junior in the team and um, learning from from uh, the leads around you? Um, or do you think that you got that later on when you came to when you started working in uh, bigger companies or came to, to, to NetCentric? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I remember the first few um, months at NetCentric was a kind of a wild ride for me because I had <clears throat> not really worked for anyone else before. There was a, a handful of times. I mean, I've worked retail jobs and I've worked for people before, but um, not in this kind of situation. And I still wasn't really clear on whether I was good at this or not. Um, you know, when you're out there in the uh, working alone or, or working kind of in a bubble of what freelance is, Again, there's so many things to be good at that you don't know if it's okay for you not to know how to deal with MySQL database, you know, tables. Or, you know, if if uh, you work with PHP, that, that that is a real programming language. And, you know, sometimes people don't acknowledge it as such. And you start to feel like, well, gosh, I don't know JavaScript yet. Maybe I'm uh, no good at this. Um, so for me, it was more about the validation of coming into a group of people that cared about what they did and really were excited. And, uh, you know, you know, some of the people that were on my team at first, including the lead and um, uh, even a, there were some juniors on that team at the time, but they cared. And I think that for me was the best part, being in a group of people that were watching, looking over your shoulder and just saying, that's cool, or we can do that a different way. Or have you, did you learn about this? Uh, open and inclusive. Uh-huh. So, so bearing in mind that you came in without like the experience of um, leading people or being led yourself uh, in terms of like code, how did you kind of like work on the style that you now have for being a lead and for imparting your knowledge to other people? Like, how did you how did you go about that? Did you is it just something that naturally evolved? Do you, I mean, I think you're quite um, you're you're naturally inclined to do that. I would say, like I think that you you carry that kind of um, you 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 carry a kind of knowledge a a, a sort like how could I describe it? You're <laughs> <laughs> you're um you have like a natural authority, um, but without being overbearing. Yeah, I I, I think there's. I, I think that's a soft skill that it's not easy to teach and it, it you pick it up over time and it's not software specific uh, and it's not agile specific or any of these processes by which we build stuff. So for me, it came from a few different factors. I think one was being an only child, uh, two was um, being involved in film sets and knowing how that structure worked and being a director and responsible for certain things and having someone to delegate other things to just knowing that and the creative industries as well are are usually much more about sharing and emotions and it's not strict hierarchy and it's we're all in this together that mindset is already baked in and then the last factor which i really think contributes is being a husband and father 
um, you sort of start to pick up that authority uh, over time and it makes it easier uh, as well. But but the biggest thing of my leadership style was having someone to base it off of. So for us, um, there was uh, someone younger than us as well, Eric, but who was the uh, senior level on our team. And his leadership style was just so calm and graceful and elegant that it was really a nice mentor to look up to. And the other thing is having enthusiasm for what you do. I think that if you have that, then you understand that it doesn't always matter to get it perfect. It it can, but it shouldn't, you should never lose the fun in what you're doing uh, because it's at the end of the day, that's what makes it continue to move on. If people were not having fun, we would find a way to automate ourselves out of existence in our careers. Um, and it is fun. So I, I don't know. I hope that answers. But but flipping it back on you, um, the same sort of question applies. You you also have a, a calm leadership style. How did that come about for you? Um, I have always tried to just be calm in whatever I do. Um, and I have to say that um, it did, it did get enhanced when I actually came to NetCentric for one of the same reasons as you. And that, Eric's been mentioned yet again on the podcast. Um, <laughs> it's like he's some kind of, um, front end guru, which of course he is. Um, but I think that he's, I was impressed, very impressed by him because he's, he's quite a bit younger than, than me. Um, but did that never, that never became a factor. Um, and it was definitely something that I thought could have been a problem um, at, at first. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he was so calm with everything that he did and so sure in his knowledge and so sure that we would get things done. And um, he, really, he really showed me the value of that. Um, I always knew that it, there was no... I've known for most of my adult life that any kind of panic, any kind of rushing into things just doesn't work. And any kind of, any kind of shouting is an absolute no, no. Um, so I think that taking a lead from, from him is almost like reassurance because it was the kind of style or attitude to my life in general that he was displaying in a workplace. I mean, I, I flip this away from, take this away from, uh, the current situation and think back to my last position in um, when I was working in the UK. Yeah. Um, and you know, there are some jobs where you, where you go to as a junior or, um, or a senior member of the team, but there are some places you go to and they are not your kind of people. It's not saying that they're, it's not to say that they are, um, they are bad people. It's just that the style is different. And I, the, my style for the last company that I worked for in the UK was completely different to the style that was required to work there. Um, that was a, and I went there as a, I would say middleweight. I wasn't quite junior, but I definitely wasn't leading the team. But I didn't appreciate the style that that the people who were leading the team had, and this was prevalent through the whole company. So it wasn't just like getting a, a bad team leader. Um, it was yeah. just something. It was just like there was a there was an opposing style to the one that I had, and actually, like then moving on from there, even more so made me think um, that is not my style. That is not how I'm going to behave, um, and it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter where I work. That isn't how I'm going to be. Yeah, and and I think being able to reflect on that is an important part of growing yourself. I mean, I guess the reason that we're talking about this topic in general is not just to, to show off our own experience, but to hopefully give advice to those that are finding themselves in leadership positions. And, um, you know, we all have a little bit of panic that first time we have to lead others, I, I think. And, um, but the most important thing you can do is reflect on your own style and what works for you and what you're not comfortable with or what you are. And, yeah, like you said, it's valid if it gets the job done, but I always fall back on, well, let's assume that we'll get the job done. Is the team also going to be happy in what they're doing? And are they going to be content and feeling uh, valued and valuable um, moving forward? Um, but maybe flipping it to the other side, then, if you are 
um, a team member where it's maybe you're not that happy with the leadership you're experiencing. One, I would always say, just make sure that that's what it is and there's not something else that you don't understand because there's plenty of stories about people that have spoken up and been like, uh, that you, you misunderstood. But if you're in a situation where there, it's just not what you fit with, how do you adapt to that? And how do you get past that or work around it? Or, or I don't know, what, what, what have you encountered in the past? Like for, for example, what did you do with your, uh, thing you were explaining in the UK? <laughs> well, this, the, <laughs> my, my solution to that is, um, is somewhat off the wall. So I quit and moved to move to Spain. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you need to. Yeah. I quit and moved to Spain with a bag of clothes and a guitar and no, and somewhere to stay for two weeks. Um, so it's probably not like your ideal choice of how to deal with something. Um, although it worked out pretty well, but anyway, um, like even if I was going to have, even if I was going to stay in the UK and I was going to stay in the industry, I think that wherever you are, if it doesn't suit you, then you still, you're still there to do a job. You agreed to do the job. Like, I'm not saying that I was bullied in, in that place because that didn't happen. It's just that the style was not what I wanted. If I was going to remain in the UK in that situation, I would have, I would have just, got another job or try to get another job. But while I was still there, just use it as experience, take any kind of good that you can get from it. Um, and that can even be like looking at how people are looking at their styles, the things that you disagree with, um, and taking that on board and really making sure that in the future, you don't do that because that's not how you enjoyed it. Or you could even, you could even look at it, observe the people around you, the people who are thriving in that kind of environment and ask why it is that they, what it is that they're getting from that and what's enabling them to thrive in the conditions that you don't feel comfortable in. Because somewhere down the line, you could have a junior member of staff. You could have a member on your, uh, a member of your team who kind of wants that style. Uh, and if it's something that you're flat out going to refuse to give them, then are you actually going to get the best from them? Is your style, is your style always going to be the correct one? Like for sure, my manager's style in the, the company that I'm talking about in the UK was never going to work for me. Like he'd, he'd got it wrong. Basically he, his management style was a particular way. It was only that way. And it worked for some of his team, but for me, it was just going to mean that I left and I wasn't the only one. So his inflexibility was really causing problems there when, you know, I'm if someone, if especially now I'm even, even older than I was then, but if somebody was going to shout at me then to get something done, that would not make me do the work. Um, no, absolutely. I, 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 I know what you mean. Um, what what I've told people because I I like it when people stay put because I think that the every time you press the reset button it just it makes it harder uh, to get back into a position of trust um, and you know it it all depends on your personality but I think when you have the trust of your company and the trust of your team you can do a lot more things you have a lot more freedom of expression in what you do at work um, and so for me I try and encourage people to. Just take a step back. Don't get riled up by anything that's happening, but start taking measures to embrace your own leadership abilities. So that might mean asking for permission to just run a feature by yourself from start to finish or speak up in a client meeting the next time it comes up or, I don't know, mentor uh, another junior on the team that you know has been struggling with something that you know pretty well. Because if you find these moments, then at least you are, you know, able to better define what works and what doesn't. And what I've also found is when you start to do that, you're proving that it works in front of your team. And so more people will start to adapt to that. So I've been on projects where I've come in and it has been 
a mess and everyone's kind of downhearted. No one shows up to the uh, standups and the retrospectives are all like, we should do better, but there's no like advice. And like, I don't take that. Um, so I was like, we need to be having standups every day, even if it seems boring, because you never know until you're in the moment explaining something is not working that that other person has a solution. So go to standups every day and talk with your team. The second one was do your retros properly. Why didn't we do a good job? What can we do better? Even if it is the client needs to write better specs, or we need to make sure that there is like something defined before we start working, whatever it is, improve your process together as a team in an open conversation and admit that it's not going to be perfect, but you're working towards perfection. And I've seen that then transmit into now the team is much more engaged and upbeat and working on things and it can work. Now that's hard to do when you're a junior for sure, but take baby steps towards it and it will probably pay off. So as a as a leader, then, do you think that it is important to um, show your team that there are that you have fallibility yourself? Because, um, like, in a, you say, do the retros properly. There's going to be points where maybe something that you've developed has not gone quite as well as you you wanted to. Do you think that? Do you recognize that in in retros? Do you actually put your hands up and say, "Oh, well, I could." I could personally have delivered that better or do you do you try and um I don't know well obviously you try and never and never deliver any defects but um but do you do you think that it's important to actually show your own fallibility I mean personally I do I, if I've if I've made a mistake I want to own that mistake it doesn't matter if somebody else on the team looks at it and says well that was your fault then even if they're they're a junior I think it's important to show some fallibility. If it's your responsibility, you should own that mistake. Yeah. And, and I think if you're at a company where you can be fired over that kind of mistake, that's not a very good company. They're going to be struggling because you're absolutely right. Showing that you are just a normal person, you are not some super coder, even if you are, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And even at your strengths, you get tired, you get distracted, you forget something. We're none of us going to be perfect. And why would you ever try and embrace that? That's just going to lead to those like midlife crisis kind of shows they have in the US, you know, where all of a sudden that perfect mask falls away and you're, you're left like in an impossible situation. No, I am 100% of the opinion that my team needs to know that I care about what I do, but I'm going to make mistakes and I need them to be there to watch out for me because that's what I'm doing for them too. Um, and in retros, okay, I might not always be the first one to speak up and say it, but I would expect them to point that out because I've talked to them about that in even before the retros and in daily stuff. I'll say, I'm, I'm delivering this fast. There's going to be bugs or yes, if there's something wrong, just tell me because, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it a certain way. I'm very loose in what I do. Um, it, it has good results, but it's not the only way to do it. You know, these kinds of things. So yeah, humility is really important and it, and it just makes it also, I come back to that. If you're humble, it lowers the stakes. Um, it takes some of that pressure off because then it is more of a group effort. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that that's we have. I think we have compatible uh, styles in that uh, in that respect. But I have a so let's let's just think about this. So you have on teams. Maybe you. I, I guess that you've experienced this. So you have juniors on your team. Now you have one junior at one point who is absolutely amazing. Um, and you could even say they're probably better than you are at certain things. Like they're, they're like geniuses, but you also have the other type of junior as well, who really is junior. They're just coming in they um, they're full of enthusiasm, but really they don't know. Um, they don't know how to code for want of a better description. They just, they, they have the enthusiasm. They have the bare bones of what they, they need to do. How do you deal with first like the, ge the the genius on your team. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, okay. Well, 
I don't know what the right way is. <laughs> um, in my own experience, when I've encountered that, it has been to just let them run with it and try to give them the tasks that are suited to that with the understanding that they're not going to be perfect at everything. They might have a kind of deep level of understanding of JavaScript, but their CSS might be kind of flimsy and, and you know, last minute thought process. So you're there to guide them and remind them that that is equally important because other people have to interact with that CSS and it is what the user sees, not just interacts with. Um, but And then uh, oftentimes you would see a, a difference there with soft skills as well, where they, uh, you know, there's something that they probably can continue to improve and you just focus on that. And in the meantime, let them be the best part of the team they can be because that's what obviously inspires them. Um, I don't know if that works. Um, I haven't really had someone long enough on the team for that to be the case. And I've seen that backfire sometimes too, where you trust them with something and it just ends up being a little more than they can handle. And then they kind of get frustrated or, or burn out. In that case, you just have to keep talking uh, and talking it through and checking in and making sure they're okay with it. Um, what about you on the other side? Because I don't actually have an answer for this. How do you deal with having a broad spectrum on your team and having someone that needs a lot of handholding because they're new to this? I, I can think of uh, a couple of examples over the years. Um, one where um, the, to the toughest situation that I've actually been in is where it became apparent to me that they, that the person was just not really able to grasp the concept. Um, and that was, that was really, really tough because for sure they wanted to be, they really wanted to be good, but they, the small steps that they needed to take at the beginning were, um, they were not able to take. Um, and I did find that I spent a lot of time with them trying to, trying to develop them. And I think after all, I personally, now I think it didn't do them any good, um, to, to continue for as long as they did, um, really struggling. Um, and but honestly, through, I think almost through my own arrogance of, like, I could make this person, uh, I'll, I'll be able to make this person get it. I'll be able to teach this person to be able to do it. Um, kept me like, like really trying and trying and trying for much longer than I actually should have done. I think that it is something, when I think about that now, I think that it's something I should have escalated to people above me um, and said, but this isn't this isn't actually working. But you know that's a tough thing. I mean, if you're if you're managing somebody, to actually have to go to your bosses and say this isn't working out, we need to we need to try something else, um, is is a tough thing. Um, I don't know. I'm not. Thankfully, I've not been in that situation again. Uh, it kind of got resolved by um, the person like deciding to to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I mean, when I look back, I think that that was kind of a failing of mine because that wasn't something that I, that I didn't make that happen. They just, in the end, decided that they were going to do something else. It wasn't through my action. Um, yeah, that, I've, that, sorry, I vowed uh, that, that, I wouldn't, that would be a sorry. blow. To, uh, no, it's fine. That would be a blow to me um, because my personal like understanding of how the world works is that anyone can do almost anything that you know, we are all uh, capable of figuring things out, right? We learn how to walk. We learn how to speak a language. Some learn how to speak a second language and uh, not the Americans among us. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm English. Like you don't have to, you don't have to apologize yeah, okay. for that. We don't right. learn languages. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it, it's, it feels like that's, always the case if they just apply themselves. And yet that isn't actually the case. Um, plenty of people, this stuff is just really hard and it it's easy to forget how long it took us to get to that stage uh, as well of, of it clicking finally. I mean, I was just telling a story the other day about, you know, trying to do something in Angular 1 and this was this was, you know, not that many years ago and I just couldn't get it. And now the, granted that was because I had done zero JavaScript at that point and it was new to me and I'd barely done much PHP, but still I was like, I'm watching the tutorials. 
I'm like doing the demo things. I'm trying to solve my own problems, like is my normal way of learning. And it's just, I don't, I don't get this. And so I gave up. And now I'm like, that doesn't seem like that would happen to me. But that's only because I've been doing this for so many years. Yeah. I mean, what we think of as um, the basics or like seems second nature to us now, um, really, really don't start off that way. And I do try and think back to when I was uh, very much starting out when I was a junior. Um, every time I get somebody new onto the team, nine times out of 10, they're going to be, they're going to need your help. Occasionally you'll get, occasionally you'll get a genius. You'll get somebody who's so, so um, who's kind of at the wrong level. Um, they, they, as you mentioned before, maybe they're lacking like management skills, soft skills, but technically they're, they're really like high. Um, you don't, but you don't get that often. And I think I try and think back to when I was actually starting out, um, and how I wanted to prove myself and like would almost like try to run before I could walk. Um, and just when I, when I have a junior, um, who needs help, try and really reassure them that they don't have to be, they don't have to hit the ground running. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. I want them to take step by step, but I want them to understand. And the most important thing for me is that if I tell them something that I don't see the same, I don't see the same mistake or the same, um, change being need to make change to make, uh, each time they submit a pull request. Um, yeah. if they, if they make a mistake, that's fine. Mistakes are absolutely allowed you know, ask as many questions as you want. But if you do the same thing five times, then we clearly have a problem. You're not listening. Um, then there'd be need for action. But um, I, I know exactly what you mean. And that is a, um, a very solid attitude to have with your team. Okay, so I think that's a good uh, place to segue into one of our user, our listener questions. Um, which uh, this first one I have down here is how do you deal with sprint estimations and time spent when knowing that you have maybe multiple juniors on your team? Um, well, let me think. I think that in this situation, you have to really manage your own time. You really have to like fix like what you're actually capable of delivering yourself. Um, and you need to be honest with the project manager about the things that you can actually do. You need to plan that you are going to have to give attention to the member, the, the people on your team, because for sure the project manager has to recognize this as well, that you can't do, if you, if you have 40 hours in your working week, but you have management responsibilities and junior members on your team, you're not going to work 40 hours on client things. So first of all, I would make sure that the project manager was aware that you that you weren't going to be able to deliver quite what you could if you didn't have this. But um, secondly, I think that I would, I would just try and give them as much attention as, as you possibly could, but really try and push them to explore solutions for themselves and really encourage them to do that. Give them pointers on how to do things. I would definitely resist giving them full answers. I would, I would definitely give try and give them answers to their problems. Um, but, but generally, or suggest that they look in a certain place for, for things, or even if they were midway through a task, just start a conversation with them about, Oh, well, don't forget that, or maybe this is a possibility in this scenario. So maybe you want to take a look at this as well. Um, but I think the most important thing is to, to present yourself in a calm manner, like there's nothing rushed, but also be clear with your project manager that you're not going to be able to deliver as much as you potentially could. How would, how would you yeah. deal with this? Yeah, I, I, I struggle with this still um, because I often find myself in situations now that I am as experienced as I am where I kind of have to have two estimations in my head. One is um, if I were doing this, this would take me maybe a day. But if I give it to this person... I think it'll take them five days and that's a big difference. And it means maybe I should just do everything. And that is not good either. Um, I think there's a couple of things at play. One is that everyone on your team, everyone in your company that's doing the, the work is a bit of an investment. 
even the seniors really um keeping them busy keeping them happy but then also feeding them new things to do that investment eventually can pay off in faster turnaround times um you know happier developers so so different features and the same thing applies to the team right if you let your team grow and give them tasks that are challenging but that they can accomplish they feel better about it they learn things and then they can do as good a job or better the next time um so you're absolutely right. You have to talk to the project manager and your team even. Um, I bring it up in planning sessions all the time. Like, I might be able to do this faster, but I think I should focus on this thing, which is the too complex for someone else to take on. In the meantime, I might not even get that feature done because I have to be available for the rest of the team. And as long as you're open about it, and you're working within an agile kind of a mindset, it can work really well. If you're not, well, then you get into conflict and having to force prioritizations and say like, look, either you acknowledge the fact that we're only going to be able to deliver this much this sprint because I cannot not help my juniors, or we have to, you know, change the the budget or fail our delivery or whatever. Uh, that's why I've kind of embraced working within agile because it it doesn't put those hard decisions on anyone at the team um yeah that, that's where I <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah good answer um let's take the second of the listener questions okay and this is uh, a nasty one so how do you deal with someone who thinks they're amazing but are nowhere near the level that they think they are <laughs> Um, the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that is, is, is me? Um, <laughs> because I think <laughs> imposter, imposter syndrome kicks in for many people. Um, I've, I've run into that on one occasion. And, and I see that actually um, on certain levels of where people think that their language ability is better than it is or, or, or things like that everywhere in society even. Um, so people don't want to feel bad about themselves. So they talk themselves up. Um, and that, that's just, that's going to be prevalent everywhere. If a person comes onto my team and they, they have that attitude and I don't know, um, I suppose my first impulse would be just to give them enough rope to, um, swing off of. Um, and I didn't mean to go into a dark metaphor there, which is why I said swing off of, but, you know, let them maybe, overextend themselves and see how it pays off. If you think that they're okay with that, um, it might be good for them to be taken down a notch just by the nature of how events play out. But um, if you don't feel like that's okay, then the best thing you can do is just communicate and be like, look, I I see that you are really excited and passionate about this topic. Um, I just wonder if you have encountered these things yet. And then, you know, state your what you see that they're lacking. And it depends on the person, of course. If there's someone that's just totally stuck up on themselves, they might be totally offended at what you have to say. And, well, that's too bad for them. Just try not to um, let it derail your project too much. Uh, but that is a really tough question. What, what, what would you do in that situation? I think that I would probably just... Um, this is, it seems bad, but I think that I would probably just ignore their attitude for, for as long as I could, um, because, and, and try and lead by example and try and show like, this is the, this is the way that we would behave in this team. Um, it would, it doesn't need to be, everyone doesn't need to be like jumping up and down and, uh, and saying how great they are or how great the things are that they've done. I want people to have pride in their work when they're working with me. Um, I want people to be into the work, but I don't think it ever has to be a, a huge competition. And I think that um, generally, if the attitude in the team is good and it's and what's and a person coming in with this this huge ego. Um, doesn't that doesn't really need to happen in the team and i think that if you could kind of just show that there's a there's a different way there's that then it's not required then hopefully that that would actually get through to them um and they would that they would integrate and soften their edges um a little bit i think that for sure it could be 
even down to something like that could even be down to a clash of cultures. Um, it really could. I mean, in Netcentric, we work with a lot of people from all parts of the world. Um, and in general, that is a great experience. You get to know a lot of people that you seriously wouldn't have got to know without working for a company like, like ours. Um, but also that does give you an insight into cultures are different. People do have different personalities and, um, they, and people may do things that you yourself wouldn't have done. But I think the most important thing for me there would be, I would try just lead by example, just show how, um, the team in general should behave. And of course, um, give them, give them room to breathe, give them the opportunity to, to prove how good they are and give them constructive feedback if they, if they fail, well, give them and give them praise when they do come through with, uh, with something that they think like the, with, with some work that is a, a high level and they're super happy with that. then I would give them praise. Um, I think just the most important thing would be just to try and lead by example. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a much better answer than mine because that is kind of instinctively what uh, I try and do on my teams as well. Um, the reason that I kind of was uh, surprised at the question at first is because I worry that that's the guy that I am. Um, I go into a lot of the work I do, especially lately when I feel like I've achieved a certain level of expertise where I'm like, this is so much fun for me. And I am so confident in my abilities now that you tell me that this thing needs to be done and I can instantly be like, I know how to do that. I can do that in two days. Um, and I do do it in two days. And then like, it feels like I'm bragging and I'm showing off, but, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just really excited. And if you have that person on your team, I think you just have to make sure that they're aware that that can be really exhausting for people uh, to encounter all the time and just be careful. And that, you know, if they're not the lead on the project, that is also something that they have to be sure to balance because too much know-it-all attitude may, uh, destroys authority. And you do need to have leadership and authority within a team when there's decisions that need to be made. Now that person might be the right one to advise on the technical thing, but the decision will not be theirs. And, you know, you have to avoid that clash if you can. Um, so yeah, being honest, being clear and being a role model, those are excellent answers to that. Um, I think there's one more uh, topic worth discussing here, um, which sort of veers away from the idea of heroes in training, but maybe not because I think we, all our, our heroes in training here, uh, no matter how high up there we get or how many projects we've saved by being heroes, um, which is I noticed a lot of the things that we've talked about in these episodes are not actually front-end specific, that we're talking about software engineering and could apply to back-enders as well as front-enders and other parts of the process as well. Um, how does that sit with you? I mean, why do you think there's such an overlap and what do you think, um, you know, that is unique about what junior and senior relationships are within the front end as comp compared to the rest of it? Well, I think that there probably, there isn't too much difference, which is why you get the, the overlap. I mean, like whisper this, but, um, we're all in the same we're all in the same industry. Um, I know there's divisions between front end, back end, UX, and uh, and all the rest of it. But I mean, we're all we're all essentially working in teams with all of these people and pushing in the same direction to produce something which is fundamentally good for the the end user. So there's there's huge overlap, and really, especially in this, the things that we're talking about they're really transferable. Like there's, if it's Java or JavaScript, like the principles for a harmonious team have got to be the same. I mean, you mentioned earlier on that you get some of your, um, your leadership skills from being a husband and a, and a father. Um, now, of course, because, of, and you take those, you take that experience into the workplace 
because everything kind of ties together. So really, yeah, is this a is this a front end issue? I I don't really think that it so much is. I mean, like we could talk specifics about how um, you impart knowledge about CSS or JavaScript, but really, it's it is a broader subject. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that we sometimes have unique challenges because the technologies we use on the front end are um, pretty different, right? HTML and CSS and JavaScript are each pretty unique. And there seems to, at times, be a lot further to dive into in terms of JavaScript. And so many people focus there. But all three are necessary to build something that the client can interact with. And so I guess that's my only thing that makes uh, mentoring a little bit different or, or, or bringing people up to a certain level is to make them understand that first and foremost. It's saying like, look, you're not really a JavaScript developer. You can be, you are obviously, but you're more than that. You are a front-end developer and that means a certain thing and you should embrace that and run with it and enjoy the quirks of the, the three languages we work with at, at all at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good way of looking at things. The in the front end, you definitely have to learn three things. You definitely have to. You can't live without the others. I mean, the uh, frameworks and things like that are bolt-ons to the fact that you know how to use JavaScript. Um, and yeah, they'd often be overlooked things like HTML, like it's the the least technical component of the three. But actually, like, there's lots to learn there. And I think that. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting topic. That um, when you start having people on your team who clearly want to specialize in one discipline rather than rather than the other, they may want to be amazing at writing CSS but have less interest in JavaScript. Like, how do you balance that to actually get the results that you need from from your team to deliver excellent work to the client? It's an interesting thing. Definitely is. And uh, the last thing I'll say before we start to wrap up is that we, you know, want to stay on our heroes theme. And so today's episode could have been called um, sidekicks uh, or something like that. But I think that the end result of this is that all front enders are potential heroes in training, that they will, they're not going to be a sidekick. They're going to be their own brand of hero. And later on, we might talk about and metaphor, use metaphor of, you know, what is the front end version of the, the Justice League or, or the Avengers look like, right? All of these people with their own specializations and skill sets that come together to do something awesome. Um, I'd, I'd like to see us get there over time. Okay. That looks like all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you should like, art, star us, whatever it is in your podcatcher of choice. Um, reviews and ratings are how those fancy algorithms help people find our content. And the power to help us is within you, heroes. So until next time, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. Bye. Bye-bye.